Bob Stoops ruined my childhood. It's the Inside OU Podcast on the Franchise Podcast Network. If you listen to this OU Compliance, I don't endorse that last message. With Brady Trantham and Keegan Renault. Mike Stoops should be put on trial for war crimes. Well, just, I mean, it's September now. It finally feels like football season. Does it? Kind of. Weather's nice. Weather's not been nice. You didn't like it? Didn't I like mean, I, I don't mind it, but man, it was pissing rain all over the place. I can only imagine what Norman looks like right now because oh, it, it, could, it could rain for two seconds. Just a light little summer rain, and then Norman is like the Old Testament. And someone's building an ark, <laughs> and it's it's hard to watch. People Did are drowning. Did you think there were tornadoes last night? Where at? Southwest Ada area. Ooh. Bing. Shout out to uh, Madison Morris, pride of Ada, right? Or is it Ardmore? No, she's from Ada. Ada, I think. Ugh. Have you ever watched The Innocent Man on Netflix? Mm-mm. Ada is apparently like Moss Eisley mm-hmm. from Star Wars in that it's like a wretched hive of scum and villainy. There's just murderers and rapists everywhere. <laughs> and shout out to our listeners from Ada. I hope you make it out just like Madison, her sister, did. Her, she's an influencer. What's that all about? She's an influencer. Yeah, she is. She um, uh, she modeled for a very classy uh, bikini set or whatever, like not a scantily clad one. But right. she, um, it was you know it was the whole song and dance like promo code Madison for like twenty percent off. So so by dictionary definition, she was an influencer. And she did she did a great job, and I say that with all sincere sincerity because I was there when she was posting the pictures on Instagram, and she was really nervous and like her, her hands were yeah, shaking. Yeah, that's not her. And she's like, I just I'm afraid to put myself out there, and I didn't know what she was talking about. Mm-hmm. And then she posted it, and I was like, No, you like there's nothing like there's nothing to be ashamed of. You look great, and all those things. So. Um, Yes, but she is an influencer, despite what she would say. She doesn't like to be told the truth, I guess. You know, women don't like the truth. No, they don't. I'm just kidding. I, men don't like the truth either, because the truth of the matter is, is, you just said it's September, and that's news to me, because the Thunder just forced a game seven. It's basketball season, Keegan, right? For a Basketball in September. This is, this, is, this is what dreams are made of. What a performance. <laughs> I could go on and on about Chris Paul. Oh, yeah, it was, uh, I found myself, you know, I'll admit it, I found myself rooting for the Thunder as that game went along because I was like, you know what, I want to watch this again. I, I want to watch basketball still. Like, this Thunder team is kind of fun. Oh, it's going to be chippy. That next game is going to be, be real it's, chippy. It's going to be chippy. The Rockets are either going to blow out the Thunder or the Thunder are going to win, like, a nail-biter. If it's, if it's a close game at the end, the Thunder will win. You know, I actually think the Thunder may, you know, completely homers take here, but I think the Thunder could have a chance to... Really take it to them. They have not played well this series. They have not. 48 minutes. Yeah, they have not put together one whole game. But it's weird. Like, the Thunder, you know, if this was a regular, no COVID, this was a regular round one, the Thunder, as the lower seed, they've essentially just won their home games. They won game three and four. Yeah, series don't start until until I know, someone win a damn road game. And apparently no one will unless the Thunder finished out on Wednesday. Good game on tonight. With Utah and Denver, you know what? We need to talk about some Keegan. Oh no! You tried. You tried to big J 
You tried to Big J and misquote me. Did you say it or did you not? No, I said Jamal Murray as your number two is not good for your title aspirations. And here's why we're all very in awe of Jamal Murray's performance the last week and a half. Because this is not what he is. He does not score 40 and 50 points a game. This is not what he does. Maybe it is now. Who knows? Even if he does it again in game seven, I'm like, okay, well, we need to see this in round two. And then we need to see it in round three. And then we need to see it in the finals for me to pivot on my take that Jamal Murray. He's been a superstar in the bubble, though. He has been unbelievable. Okay, but so so was, what was his name, TJ Warren for a while. I think TJ Warren's got a chance to be really good next well, year. He, oh, of course. Like, these guys are good. Jamal Murray is a good player, but you said Brady tried to tell me that Jamal Murray wasn't good. Yeah, now, that, that is, is, a, that is, is that a misquote that, or not? No, that is no. That is, that is a misquote. Th- and I was talking about him potentially being a star, and you said he wasn't that good. I said he's, as your number two, that is not good. That is exactly what I said. So Spencer Rattler was named. No one cares about Spencer Rattler right now, Keegan. <laughs> Spencer Rattler was named the starting quarterback today. Oh, yeah, in other breaking news. Like, why was this on a Tuesday? Just leave this for a Friday news dump. But I guess they have to stay in line with, I mean, you were on Twitter the other day saying, like, when Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray or Jalen Hurts were named the starting quarterback, it was X amount of days until the Sooners' first opener. And now we are less than 14 days away, or are we more than 14 days away? Oh, I think we're 11. 11? God dang. It doesn't feel like it, does it? No, it, it doesn't feel like football season. I want to be excited for it. I am I am excited for it. I mean, obviously, we already talked about the Thunder. And uh, real quick, before we totally pivot Spencer Rattler and OU, I do want to give a quick shout-out to Ben DeBose, who covers the Houston Rockets. Uh, you, sir, are the reason why people would look down on uh, Keegan Renault, who's the co-host of this podcast, and me, Brady Trantham, who, uh, you know, you, Keegan, covering OU football, OU sports doing an excellent job, and I trying to do as good of a job as I could possibly to cover the Thunder. But Ben DeBose is, like, one of the reasons why people look down on us. Because it, we started off writing for websites. Mm-hmm. And his – I mean, if you don't – just look him up on Twitter. If you're a Thunder fan and you were on Twitter, you know who I'm talking about. The dude's a joke. Joke. He got yeah. He got real defensive. Too. He, he got started. so mad online last night. It was so funny to watch. I just didn't get what he like. Nothing His favorite he was team saying, was losing. Yeah, nothing he was saying was making any sense. I'm not gonna name this person, but it's like another person that we both know that when his or her favorite team loses, he or she gets mad online. You know who I'm talking about? The truth, <laughs> the light, <laughs> not the Lord, but. Yeah, he was blowing up your mentions yesterday. He was? Did you mute that conversation? Do you have him muted? Um, I usually have uh, home like like homers muted. Even even OU homers, even Thunder homers, like sometimes I just can't handle it. Like I'm not a Thunder fan anymore, but sometimes I cannot deal with their endless silly optimism. And even OU OU fans, especially when I was in college, I muted so many OU fans. <laughs> I just couldn't take it despite what the intelligentsia would tell me. But, no, let's uh, let's pivot back from Ben DeBose being a joke to uh, uh, Spencer Rattler, like you said, Lincoln Riley, just about an hour and a half ago, uh, finally announced that he will be the starting quarterback for the Oklahoma Sooners uh, starting on, or in 11 days when they take on Missouri State. It's the Spencer Rattler era. And if everything goes according to plan, and that includes college football being able to finish during a pandemic, this will be the first time since Baker Mayfield that we could potentially see the same quarterback 
two years in a row. He yeah, he messed up. Remember, he noted that in yeah. his interview with Cowherd or someone else that Lincoln said it's going to be nice to have a quarterback for back-to-back year or for consecutive years. And then Tanner Mordecai was uh, disappeared like a few weeks afterwards, but like apparently he's he's back now. He only missed seventy seventy-five percent of the uh, practices. Yeah, that that part's interesting. Um, you know, because hearing about you know him being down a week after fall camp started. I mean, that that sounds like w- uh, an ankle or a concussion, right? Well, I mean, it was reportedly, you know, f- f- Gabe Eichert and Teddy Lehman that it was a hamstring injury. Oh, hamstring. So, yeah, on their podcast. So, I think, you know, credit to Sooner Scoop for breaking that first, but they're, you know, behind a paywall and everything. So, no, I thought it was interesting just hearing him talk about how confident he is in that quarterback room because – if Chandler Morris is anything like a senior high school tape shows, Chandler Morris is going to be a guy that's he will compete with like more than Tanner Mordecai would with Spencer Rattler, more than Austin Kendall would with um, Kyler Murray. When Caleb Williams steps on campus and he's a redshirt freshman going into that quarterback battle in 2022, Chandler Morris is going to give him a run for his money. He fits way more than what Austin Kendall and Tanner Mordecai did. So to hear Lincoln talk about the backup quarterbacks today. I'm in that light, and I mean, we know Lincoln's a fibber, a, uh, oh, a liar. A, a, you hip, mean a, a habitual <laughs> fibber, an habitual line stepper. Um, <laughs> so, um, now with that being said, though, I, I think that there should be confidence. I think Tanner Mordecai is better than what Austin Kendall was, and I think Chandler Morris is probably better than uh, Mordecai and Kendall, and it maybe just be more of a scheme fit than anything with Chandler. So. Um, you know, it's expected. Obviously, nothing shocking that Spencer Rattler being named the starting quarterback. But, man, now we can really kind of officially start getting into what yeah. this offense is going to look like. Yeah, and I, I really – I'm going to kind of do this in the wrong way, Keegan, because I want to kind of jump ahead because I need to do this in order to get back into football mode. And it, it's e- even during a normal season where there's no COVID and everything's starting at the same time, the regularly scheduled time, it's hard for me to transition from college football to the NBA because the NBA starts in mid-October. And I know no one cares about basketball at that time in Oklahoma, but it's my job. So I have to, I have to like fix my brain from thinking about like football schemes to basketball schemes, and it takes me a, it takes me a while. So it's going to take me even a while. Like I'm pretty sure I'll be watching or listening, and that's going to be another conversation in a few minutes, <laughs> um, to the Missouri State game, and I'm going to be like, I can't remember what that is. I can't remember what this, what this formation is called. It's going to take me a minute. So I'll just get right into this. Spencer Rattler, starting quarterback. Let's assume – the only thing OU has to worry about for the entire season is just actual, like, football injury. Let's take COVID out. Like, I know it's kind of hard to do this, but let's take COVID out of the equation. Games are – they go on as they're scheduled. Nothing is postponed or canceled. What are we looking at here with Spencer Rattler, assuming that the offensive line is, let's just say, as good as they were last year? And I want to talk about Spencer Rattler, the athlete, because in the few times that we saw Spencer last year, we did see him in some zone read uh, – we did see him in some zone read formations. We saw him in some zone read options. And he's got some athleticism to him. But it was against South Dakota. It was against, I was going to say, it was against South Dakota. And like I've said a few times on this podcast, Keegan, the Inside OU podcast, um, I hope he spent a lot of time in the weight room because Kyler Murray was small and shorter than Spencer Rattler. But Kyler looked like he could take a punch. 
Spencer Rattler, I mean, he's probably tough for all I know, but he is he is small, like he's a different type of tough. small. That's for sure. Yeah. He's a you know, this is a guy that from a personality perspective is very aligned to what we saw with Baker. I mean, that's what it's going to be like. He's going to throw a touchdown and then run and go crazy down the field. It's not going to be like what we've seen the last two years. It's going to be a lot more outgoing. It's going to be a lot more, um, you know, emotion than what we saw from the last two years. And I think that too, I mean, we made the joke on here that Caleb Williams has kind of stolen Spencer Rattler's thunder this offseason, but it's clear today that this has been something, and I, I want to, you know, go back. It, it was clear that the, that moment when he walked ran out on the field for his first appearance in, against South Dakota. I, I've covered the team now for three years, been apart, been um, around for some blowouts. Some guys come in. I've never felt the stadium like it did when Spencer came in. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure it was probably very similar to, let's go all the way back to 05 when OU lost to TCU, but then Rhett Bomar got inserted in the second quarter. I'm sure the, the stadium like all got on their feet, and they were all excited to see the five-star super quarterback in mm-hmm. Bomar. Um, the morning show, Todd Lizenby, Eddie Rodosvich, they were actually talking about uh, the 2007 OU North Texas game, Sam Bradford's first game. And I remember that I was there. And I can remember being excited for Sam Bradford and seeing that offense. Um, I will say, like, yes, it was South Dakota State, but we've seen backup quarterbacks come into spots like that against opponents like that, Keegan. And I'm not saying they look timid, but they don't look they don't go out there with the air of confidence that Spencer Rattler certainly had running that offense. Like he looked like he'd been doing this in his sleep. And I will challenge every listener to the Inside OU podcast because you know it's coming. In fact, it came today during the press conference. Every time Spencer Rattler is compared to Baker Mayfield in that they're cocky or they're confident, whatever, take a shot and prepare your liver because it's coming in waves. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that first game is going to be pay-per-view. I mean, you remember that Akron game whenever Baker threw his first touchdown and they just freaked out? You remember because- that first half was so bad? That was so bad. I mean, the first two games, the first two games, first – Almost eight quarters of Lincoln Riley's offensive career at OU was just floodgates. Remember, they talked all you know leading up to that season. We just need the, the you know once the floodgates open, they'll open. Well, hurry <laughs> up! <laughs> so I, I, you know, you talk about the you know confidence, the bravado um, that Spencer Rattler is going to bring to the table. It, it's, I think, it's going to bring a different energy to games because I think Oklahoma fans got so accustomed to Jalen's going to, you know, complete 15, 20 passes. They're going to be short. He's not going to, he's going to pick up yardage with his legs. It's, it's the, it was the same monotonous thing for the last five games of this season. This is going to be a guy that's going to, they're going to light up the scoreboard. And I've said this on this podcast and I've said it on air um, with the franchise is that I think it's time to embrace the shootout once again. If you're Oklahoma, and that's not me saying that these defenses aren't going to be any good, but last year it was clear Lincoln was playing ball control. Oh, yeah. That he was trying to chew up as much clock as he possibly could to limit the bad decisions from the, the fumbles. Jaden Hazelwood had a big one. C.D. Lamb had a massive one um, against Iowa State. I believe it was Iowa State. Yeah. Um, I mean, C.D. Lamb, Creed Humphrey, and – 
probably Lee Morris were like the three guys on that offense, and probably Nick Basquin. Those four guys on offense were the only guys that I were com- completely confident that they would not screw up. Yeah, everybody Katie else Brooks. was just everybody else had some screw up in them. Yeah, and, and so you know, but this is gonna be an offense. They're 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 gonna light up the scoreboard. I mean, they're gonna put up points. And the you know there was a big talk of when Alex Grinch got hired that he matched well with Oklahoma's offense because he's been accustomed to being around a program that ran a ton of plays up tempo, uh, yeah. ran, uh, God pace match God, I was trying to think of, the yeah, word. he's a good philosophy match with Lincoln Riley. And that, I think that's going to be tested this year. I mm-hmm. think Oklahoma, the scoring, uh, defensive, you know, the defensive yards given up total yards, total scoring, all that's going to be up. I don't think that's going to mean the defense is going to be as bad, though. I, I still, you know, you look at, you know, you take the efficiencies, you take SP plus, you take all those things. The defense, I think, is still going to be good. But I'm just preparing, and I want people to be prepared for that. This offense is going to put up a ton of points. They're going to get the defense is going to be on the field a lot. Um, but that's a good thing. Yeah. Then, and if they can get a couple turn, uh, just one more turnover a game. I mean, they. I mean, they're having as good a shot of anybody at this thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that that's pretty. I think that that's fairly obvious to understand, and I think OU fans are more than prepared for that because that's unfortunately been the state of this program outside of Jalen Hurts' year for the last half of the season, uh, for the better part of a decade, where the offense just scores 35, 45, 55 points, and there were times once they were playing a certain type of opponent where they're still winning by the skin of their teeth because the defense could not make just a, a play or two. Um, and I think with Alex Grinch, and especially into year two, and yes, we, we last week, Keegan, we talked about how there could be a minor step back just because of the loss of Kenneth Murray and all that that entails. But, you know, guys like Buki, um, just whoever else could potentially step up into that role on the, from the leadership. But you'd hope that this defense would be a little bit more athletically comfortable enough to make a play or two because if they get into a shootout and I think a shootout like let's just throw out a random Texas Tech assuming Bowman would actually play this time against OU because I don't like he's only played like one half against OU in the last three years um, but let's say it's 35 you know 20 you know second quarter third quarter whatever and OU has the lead all that would really take to really blow that game wide open is just one play on defense whether it's a big sack whether it's a big tackle for loss or a turnover. And if that can happen, then the scoring barrage, it'll it'll start looking like something akin to the 07-08 teams that would score a lot of points, but their defense would give up a lot of numbers. And at the end of the day, you'd look at the score and it's 55-28. to 28, And that 28 looks bad when you add it up to the 24 the previous week, but it's like the game was never close. Right. So those numbers are hollow. So that's, that's the hope, of course, with the defense taking a, a, hopefully a step forward. Absolutely, and you, you look at what this defense and the makeup of it's going to be, and you've got an experienced secondary. Um, you know, not trying to trigger the. Oh masses. no, no we'll, we'll get to that too. We didn't really prep for this, but uh, apparently, a lot of people are upset with me about Trey Brown. Yeah, and uh, but you get a guy like Jane Davis, you get a guy like Trey Norwood back, and I and I. I still stand to this day that he, he is a very good football player. Now, is he a guy that's a caliber that should be starting at the University of Oklahoma? Probably not. But he's a guy that, that is solid. He's, he's what Alex Grinch has to work with. And 
Um, you know, and I think it's going to be a defense. You know, you hear Lincoln Riley talk about Brian Asamoa today, and you know where I've been with Brian Asamoa since the offseason. If that guy took any jump, he's going to be a freak. Oh, yeah. He's physically – 100% agree. Uh, looks the part. He's athletically enough, just beyond enough to be good at that position. Um, you know, but I, I still have some – my biggest question mark on that defense – remains to be how much havoc they're going to be able to cause with the defensive line. And that's going to put a lot of weight on Pierre Perry on Winfrey because a guy like Marcus, a guy like Marcus Stripling, you know, Isaiah Thomas was name dropped today. Um, But a guy like Marcus Stripling, is he ready yet? Is Isaiah Thomas really taking that step, you know, as terms of edge rushers. And if, and if he hasn't, that's going to put a lot of pressure on Perry on Winfrey, and he's going to get the same treatment that Neville Gallimore got in the Peach Bowl whenever Ronnie Perkins was gone, especially yeah. considering that, you know, not confirmed, but if Jalen Redmond's status is truly up in the air, then that's going to even cause some more issues. So, um, no, but back to, you know, Spencer and, and what this offense is going to look like, and I said this to you, I fully expect this to look a lot like what it did in the first half of 2019 to where there was going to be a ton of H-backs on the field, but they're going to attack vertically. And Jalen just didn't, after that Kansas State game, it was clear that he just didn't have it. And I've gone back and made sure sure that I I was sure on all this. Um, Offensive line didn't help him out. But, damn it, there were so many open guys he missed. There were so many reads he missed. That's the biggest change. And I, I don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg. I don't know what came first with Jalen Hurts missing C.D. Lamb wide open so many times late in the year. If it Charleston was Rambo, oh my! If it God. if it was the offensive line maybe spooking him early on and p- putting the fear of God into his head where he's like, I got to take off the second my read is not there. If I don't have confidence in this offensive line, I got to take off. I, I'm inclined to not believe that as much because the offensive line was not Bill Beatonbow All American level, but it wasn't terrible. This wasn't like an 05 O line or a 2009 O line where it's decimated by injury. It wasn't terrible. Um, I think that that's going to be the simple difference is, is Spencer Rattler going to miss wide open guys? Like, and let's pretend that Jaden Hazelwood is playing because I know he's been quote around the team. I don't know what the hell that means, but he hasn't um, been practicing. He hasn't been practicing, but let's assume that he's healthy and he's everything. He's made the leap. He's everything that we expect him to be. He's one of OU's go-to targets. If he's open, Spencer Rattler is probably going to hit him. And if, if he does that, then Yes, there might be some more turnovers because he takes risks, but it's because he's confident, and that's what you get out of Baker. You got that out of Kyler, even even though they are incredibly accurate. But um, that's going to be to me the simple change. You're, this is will be a, one of my takes for uh, Friday, but um, for a story. But I think Austin Stogner may catch ten plus touchdowns. That this year. dude is like when OU lined up for their black uh, for their Black Lives Matter march. That dude stuck out like a sore thumb. He's, he's so massive. massive. He's and I know a lot of people have said Gronk, but I I, I want to see him stand next to Stephen Adams. <laughs> I mean, Stephen's going to be taller, but right, yeah, just in, but, in terms but of my shoulder God, width. God, yeah. that dude looks like a full-grown adult. He's a he's a big boy, and yeah. uh, I think he's going to catch ten plus touchdowns this year. Man, him and Spencer I, at I, the Elite Eleven was. I mean, of Theo that was there, of R.J. Henderson, who I don't know if he's found a home yet to play college football at, but in Theo Weiss, Austin, him and Stogner 
were the chemistry between those two after two days was unbelievable. Yeah, and clearly last year the I believe it was maybe his second completion against South Dakota, to where he just kind of not a, it wasn't a jump ball, but he threw a high pass on purpose to Stogner. Um, oh yeah, and he knows how to pinpoint his passes, and I can already tell that from like the eight passes he threw last mm-hmm. year. And and you know, and I, I don't want to take credence to one drive in the Peach Bowl, but man, he looked comfortable. He looked yeah, more he looked comfortable un- than Jalen Hurts did. The he last looked unfazed. Mm-hmm. He was like, "All right, this is what I came here for to mm-hmm. play in these types of games." Yeah, we are not going to win this game, and it's an embarrassing on the scoreboard. But it's time to put my mark on. And now, I, I want to say, go back to the Jaden Hazelwood conversation. If Jaden Hazelwood was healthy this year with Spencer Rattler, he may he could win a Bolitnikoff. I I need like it's kind of the same thing with Spencer Sanders. Like in order to be fair. Because my thing with Spencer Sanders, I love the talent, I love the potential, but when I see a guy who turns the ball over frequently, and I know Spencer Sanders cleaned it up as the year went along. I mean, Jaden had one. I, I, I need to see it. Yeah, Jaden had that one against uh, either Kansas Iowa, State, Iowa State or TCU. It was that TCU was really and bad. Iowa State. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and then he also got pissed off at it, and Lincoln benched him for it. Yeah, I mean, he got he got into a little scuffle in that game as well with yeah. one of TCU's defenders. Yeah. I would be pissed off too if that were me. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm a little pissant if I lose. Yeah, the and... guy had a hold of his. Yeah, um, the talent's there, and I have no doubt he's going to make a leap. I think he's got. Uh, I think he's got a chance to be. You know, maybe number one wide receiver off the board whenever his draft comes. Would and not there's be surprised. A, there's a lot of confidence in what in Norman about what Jaden Hazelwood um, is going to become. But then you kind of go back to the conversation just of the receivers in this offense and with Spencer. If Marvin Mims and Theo Howard are who we think they are, then this off – I mean, they're going to just be throwing bombs. They're going to yep. be throwing vertically. They're going to be, you know, double moves. You get Theo Weiss in one on – it's going to get Theo Weiss in a ton of one-on-one situations. And they the, – the opportunities are endless. And Austin, so you got Jalen Conyers, a true freshman that's going to be a wide receiver – I was going to say, like, is it weird that, like, one of the guys I'm most excited for is Braden Willis? No, that's not weird. No, I mean, it's just like, like, pick your poison. And we're talking about a receiving core that's all, right now, as we speak, decimated mm-hmm. with inexperience and injury. And that's why that H-back position, I think, is going to be so crucial for this year. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, that's a question, you know, if this press conference today wasn't about, um, you know, Spencer you know, that would have been a question that I asked is that just how much of a strength is that H-back room going to be for them? You've got a guy like Michael Henderson that it's clear he's moved to running back um, in the video that they posted. But, I mean, Jeremiah Hall is really good. He's going to be a fullback. He's going to be a great fullback in the NFL, probably a guy that's going to go undrafted and then sign. Burkowski um, type. Yeah, he's he was really good last year. Um, and then you have Austin Stogner's considered an H-back. <laughs> as well as as well as Braden Willis and and Jeremiah Hall, and then you and when Michael Henderson gets around, I mean he may be better than all three of them at that position. I'm not saying I think Austin Stogner is a true in line tight end at the next level. Yeah, but in terms of H backs, he is more athletic than Dimitri Flowers was. And if anybody that saw Dimitri Flowers play in person, it gave you. Um, it's kind of like Chris Paul this year. You kind of took it for granted a little bit, but he was massive. He was so athletic. Because he makes plays with his brain and his mm-hmm. understanding of spacing. Mm-hmm. And it, you don't really think about spacing in football, I guess, as much as you as you would with basketball. It's just more paramount, I guess. But 
Dimitri was a guy that always struck me as he's he's playing basketball on on grass. Mm-hmm. He's picking his spots, but um, yeah, basically the H back room, wide receivers room, uh, just wash your hands, huh. sanitize, and keep clean. Um, we veered off. We veered off absolutely, but I, I like the conversation. But my original question, Keegan, um, the athleticism of Spencer Rattler. And I know we, like, we're going to be doing a lot of guesswork here. And mainly it's just because I think the easy, safe answer is to say he's going to be somewhere like athletic-wise in between Baker and Kyler. But that is such a wide effing gap. Baker mm-hmm. was had magic legs like in terms of his scrambling ability. And every once in a while... Every once in a while, he could pick up like somewhat of a, a positive chunk. Would he run the forty? It's like a four eight, right? Four eight, four eight, four which nine. is which is fast. If I ran a four eight right now, I would I would be praising God. Uh, Kyler, and then Kyler Murray is just a legendary sprinter who has the agility and the mobility and just everything you want out of just a football player. Because we've seen straight line runners. I mean, I complained about one on last week's podcast. We'll talk about him in a little bit. You see straight line runners who, when they're asked to make a cut, four eight one. Baker ran a four eight one, which is fast. Yeah, especially when he's wearing like extra quarterback padding, like, and he's somewhat bulky. Like mm-hmm. it makes sense, but like the gap between Baker and Kyler, like that's come on. Like, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the same offenses either. No, no, and yeah, for that reason, we're not going to see Spencer Rattler run a Kyler Murray offense in that. Like as the season wore along, there were just a ton of just option plays. Mm-hmm. But I think you still need that element because even though the Jalen Hurts offense was pedestrian to our standards, watching OU football forever, especially over since Lincoln Riley began his career here, um, it was still one of the top offenses in the country. It still put up numbers. They were the number two S and P plus offense. They, they, last year. It was incredible, and a lot of that is attributed to Jalen Hurts's athletic ability to pick up yards on the ground when mm-hmm. plays break down. And if this offensive line is going to be somewhat of a question mark early on, mm-hmm. like I, I want to believe that Spencer Rattler has a bulked up, made the strides in the weight room to to the effect that Lincoln Riley can be confident that if he needs to call some QB option plays, he's not going to go Bob Stoops in that, oh, God, I've got an athletic quarterback, but I'm scared to death to get him hurt, so I'm never going to have him run. Because that's a wasted that's a wasted opportunity. Mm-hmm. I don't want this to be drop back Texas Tech quarterback offense. Oh, we're going the Texas Tech North route here. Well, I mean, that's what I'm afraid of, but I have, I've seen nothing to th- – I've seen nothing recently or over Lincoln Riley's career at OU for me to believe that's going to be the case <laughs> when this season starts. But just because of Spencer Rattler's body type, I'm just a little cautious. Because he's not Baker and he's not Kyler. Yeah, and, you know, the the times that we – he's not a natural runner either. Yeah. You know, he played basketball, obviously won a state championship in Arizona, being the second-hand man to Nico Mannion, which, by the way, what kind of talent on that basketball that's team? That's an awesome name. Have you watched him play basketball? I know that we're getting off topic. Nico Mannion. Arizona, white kid, redhead. Okay, yeah, I know you're talking about. Point guard. Yeah, freak show. Um, And then, obviously, him and Spencer on the same team. But, yeah, I mean, it's clear that he's athletic, but he's not a gifted runner. I know I made a comment that was sort of controversial last year, but, like, even in that conversation, like, Baker was a skilled runner. He knew how not to get hit. Sometimes he welcomed getting hit, which I never understood. But he knew how to make guys miss. I don't think Spencer has that ability. So when you talk about, you know, you don't want to see a bunch of dropbacks, have to remember this. 
they rarely threw the football more than 40 times a game the last four years, Which from is why 2015 I've, I've to loved, 2019. It's why I've loved Lincoln's offense. It's mm-hmm. like the complete opposite of Heupel's, where mm-hmm. it was 50, 55 passes a game, and it's like, nah. Mm-hmm. So, and, and then you could you add in the fact that this is going to be a mauling offensive line. I mean, they were really good in the run game last year in terms of the offensive line. They were it, exquisite, I think, is the best word to use there. They hardly ever, you know, missed, uh, you know, assignments – uh, the problems were in the past, pass blocking. And some of how Baylor played defense, some of how TCU played defense with basically running a three-man front and just the splits between the nose tackles and the ends were just massive with safeties and linebackers screaming downhill. Oklahoma ran a bunch of zone last year. And I know I made that comment last week, but after going back and watching, it was even more than I remembered. In that Big 12 championship game, all those huge runs they were breaking with Kennedy Brooks and Ramondre Stevenson, Tyrese Robinson and Marquise Hayes were just washing the washing the front yeah. uh, to one side or the other. So, with that being said, if that's how teams have countered against Oklahoma's guard tackle counter is to basically run a three-man front, get you know four or five guys near the line of scrimmage from the linebackers or safety safety aspect of it, and really just disrupt guys moving across the line, especially the guards and tackles. If that's what it's going to be this year, a guy like TJ Pledger is going to get a bunch of yards. A guy like Marcus Major is going to get a bunch of yards. Seth McGowan going to get a bunch of yards. So I think if they, you know, teams try to attack them differently this year and they go back to that guard tackle counter, it's, I, I mean, I think there's a chance they could become a team that throws it 40, 40, you know, 40, 45 times a game. I don't expect that to happen, but nevertheless, you know, I, I, I still think it's going to be balanced. I think it's going to be efficient. I mean, they're going to, I said earlier, I, I think they're going to be throwing bombs. I mean, all game. I mean, they're going to be in full on attack mode. And I think part of that too is because Lincoln Riley is competitive in that regard. Yeah. And I think, think a lot of last year pissed him off and the reason why I say that is because when you look at the last five six games of the year and then look at how he attacked LSU in the Peach Bowl it was completely different it was right back to what they were doing um, up until that Kansas State game and I think he was just I think he got frustrated in the offense that he had to run and um, I shared a video I need to pull it up I've got a good video for you um let you watch it while I explain it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think it was in the Oklahoma State game. They, Jaden, or it was a uh, Lee Morris broke open downfield. And on the sideline, on the All-22 film, you can see Charleston Rambo and Dennis Simmons just put their hands up. Oh. And they just look, Charleston looks pissed off. I mean, he looked so mad. You, know, you could see it in Lincoln's body language last year as a play caller where he knew opportunities were missed, but... When you're when you're the head coach, the offensive coordinator, and the quarterbacks coach, and you're working with your guy, I mean, a quarterback is not a position that you just tear tear the guy a new asshole because they have to have a level head. They've got to have the ability to forget the last play and all that, all those cliches. So, but you could still see it in Lincoln, just like. God, the potential of this offense with C.D. Lamb. Yeah, and that was funny, and I made that comment on Twitter the other day um, about C.D. Lamb and um, did we underestimate how good he was because, like, I think that's an actually valid conversation. Like, C.D. Lamb, 
yeah, check out the sideline. CD Lamb was so good last year, and he could have had a 2,000-yard kind of season. Like, he was that good. And this, so this play yeah. was in the Baylor game. It I believe this Theo is Theo Weiss's touchdown. No, it was a. Uh, it was Charleston Rambo oh, was yeah. on the sideline. Lee Morris, I believe, is the one here that's wide open. Like credit, they got the first down on this play, but on the sideline, there's two or three people with their hands up, just like look the, pissed the, off because there's a dude running wide open down the field, and Jalen just didn't throw it. The prevailing thought is in that situation this season, the ball is out a second quicker to the right spot. Oh, it's timing. Is going to be a lot better. Um, getting the ball out quick is going to be a lot better. I mean, this is a guy that, that if there was a quarterback born to play under Lincoln Riley, it is Spencer Rattler. Yeah, it, I mean, look, this will be the last time that I, I guess I'll, I'll defend Jalen Hurts because, like, I agree with your whole take on him, Keegan. Um, the only where the only place I don't really agree with you is like the give me my quotes, Big J guy over there, um, but. If Lincoln Riley coached Tim Tebow, he'd have a lot of the same problems. Now, J- Tim Tebow is a much better quarterback. Scratch that. Tim Tebow is a much better player than Jalen Hurts, but they have the same flaws in that they have long, slow windups, and they often can't read the entire field, and they lock on. Like, if Tim Tebow is OU's quarterback under Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley is, like, pulling what hair he has left out of his head because Tim would miss the same guys over and over again. That's what Jalen Hurts is. But, again, the prevailing thought is Spencer Rattler, quicker, more efficient. And if the timing's right, like if the timing's right with your quarterback under Lincoln Riley with this talent, like it's like the sky's the limit. Mm. So Spencer doesn't have to be as good as Baker or Kyler to still be the best quarterback in the conference, to be one of the best quarterbacks in the country, to be a Heisman Trophy candidate. I think that's all a little unfair to expect of him in year one, but – I mean, the talent would suggest so. Talent His talent so. and the talent around him. And as well as everybody else is expecting it. I mean, I thought it was funny yesterday that Bruce Feldman made that comment that he's buying stock in Spencer Rattler this year. Like, like, dude, like people, what, stock, what stock is left? I know. Like, people called for him to play in the second half of the Baylor game. Yeah, Waco. I will put my hand up on that. I, 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 I did too. Like, I was like, if this is it, then just go ahead and – like, you're not redshirting him. Just go ahead and throw him out there because the season's over. Does that LSU game look a little different? I mean, OU wouldn't get there in the first place if they had – because if, if Lincoln puts out Spencer Rattler in the second half of Baylor, that's essentially the white flag. And I don't know Spencer Rattler in his first real time on the field in Waco. Even with Baylor, how they played that second half. Because OU still had to scratch and claw to barely win. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Spencer could do that. No, not a, not last year, probably. I'm not going to expect an 18-year-old freshman to do that. No, and I, I asked Lincoln the question today about how important it was to, you know, for him to sit behind Jalen last year and, you know, credit Stephen Brown, Big B here, that that was his biggest, you know, attribute to adding Jalen Hurts to the team, to the program a year yeah. ago, was that it was going to set a new baseline for Oklahoma and in terms of leadership, in terms of work ethic, and a guy – coming out of high school that everybody watched the QB one Netflix thing. I mean, I want my quarterbacks confident, man. Maturity, maturity was an issue. I want confidence too, but they're not my friends. Like I I want them to to do well in life. I want them to be excellent football players for, for the football team I root for, but Mm -hmm. they're, I, if they're, 
a dick, I'm sorry. I don't care. I'm not going to meet them or know them personally. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and I do want to, and this is crazy here, but I mean, Cowherd was right about Baker. He needed to grow up. And last year was a humbling experience for him, for Baker. And I'm sure last year for Spencer Rattler was a humbling experience for him. 2016 was a humbling experience for Baker. Mm-hmm. He had a great 2015 start to his OU career. 2016 started off terrible. Yeah, by the way, is Baker losing his grit? He changed his profile picture finally from the post-Ohio State game. Oh, no more Lake Travis hat? No more Lake Travis hat. It's a picture of his wife. I always pretended that that was a Land Thieves hat. Rest yeah, in, right? Rest in, rest in peace, Land Thieves. <laughs> right? <laughs> I was like, oh, man. No, they, it's better uh, than the Logies hat, man. Logies hat's popular amongst the football team. Uh, it's thanks to Baker. And from what I understand, Logies has been a popular spot. I mean, I went to Logies Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night my junior and senior year every week. See, I was working, I so to, I never had a chance. I like to dance. So, uh, like, at the time, because I know there were a few other new bars on Campus Corner since I've graduated in 2014, but at the mm-hmm. time, that was the only like place where you can go dance. And so I was always at Logie's and I may have bought a quarterback, a shot who beat Notre Dame in South Bend for the first time in 60 years. And I, we can only assume who that is, but <laughs> um, yes, they all love Logie's. And yeah. It, it's fun, but maybe uh, not. I guess, I guess, how do I say this? That there were some players that had enjoyed their time out this weekend unless hopefully they've already all had COVID and they've overcome it but my spot was Volaire that's besides the point Volare or is it Volaire 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 yeah great great spot up there yeah um apparently and I guess one more thing before we get back to the football uh, (laughs) I remember I went there like about the the first football season had ended this was like January after their first football season that they were open ordered an old fashioned and they gave it to me in a regular size plastic cup. So an old fashioned is like in a scotch glass. Mm -hmm. So it's near the top and this is a regular plastic cup. And I'm just like, what's this? And they were like, the bartenders was like, um, yeah, we can't give glass anymore because Kansas state fans came up here and were chucking glasses off the, uh, (laughs) and I think that was the 2015 year when Baker waved goodbye to him in Norman. So, State, state catching L's, I guess, Kansas State. Stop ruining our bar fun. Yeah, I've heard some good stories about um, uh, what's the Ryan Broyles' place? The porch. Oh, the porch. Yeah, yeah, since it overlooks people walking on campus corner after games. Yeah. I have heard some uh, – there has been some Me. mad heckling from the top of the porch down to my opposing buddy, fans. My buddy and I watched the uh, OU Texas game at the Brew House, uh, the Big 12 Championship game with Kyler. Um, at the brew house for the first half, second half we watched at the porch and we watched the rest of it with Ryan Broyles. So uh, technically I will say he's a friend of the podcast because we watched the second half together. Nice guy. And then you also mentioned Stephen Brown. I do have to mention this. He swears that he was about to text me. And I know you're not going to really understand this, but um, I won't say where, but I walked up upon him. Good friend of ours, Stephen Brown from the Crimson Cream Machine with Kamir Marabi and another good friend of ours. And at a local watering hole, and he sees me, and he's like, "I was just about to text you." We've like really, you. He had that look in his eye, like he had just been <laughs> caught. I was like, "Dude, come on now." Uh, we're, when you, so do you want to talk about Brian Asmo? What do you well, want to talk about next? Real quick, because we asked the question last week, Lincoln Riley finally addressed it. T.J. Pledger 
is, I guess, leading in the running back room to start. And I think that's just kind of the safe pick from Lincoln. I um, I don't know what to expect out of TJ because I really don't know what he is comp-wise. Like, what is he comp-wise? Like, I, I know what he should be comp-wise according to his size, but I don't, I don't see scat back Roy Finch, Quentin Griffin when, I, when I've watched TJ Pledger. Because he, he runs a certain way. I've comped him. I comped him way before he got to Oklahoma. He's Brennan Clay. Is he Brennan Clay with hands? He's or that can run Brent, routes. He's Brennan Clay. So just not a dynamic back. Not he's a guy that you know. I'm talking Brennan Clay his last year. A guy that's going to go get you nine yards. He's going to so, fight. He's going to fight. So for like two, he's, three. he's he's Kennedy. Like Kennedy had a little bit more home run ability than Brennan Clay, but they're essentially the same back in that. Like we've talked about this before, Keen. Like Ken, like in my opinion, Kennedy is a guy who can get you the positive yardage who won't really make that many mistakes, but he's not going to carry the offense. Trey Sermon could carry the offense if Lincoln decided to like hand him the keys like he did against Tech and Kyler Kennedy Brooks buried Oklahoma State last year. Who doesn't bury Oklahoma State? Texas. And a lot of that was just the, the offensive line against OSU's weak-ass defensive line. Like, come on now. OSU's defense was pretty good last year. Their front seven sucked in that game. Like, yeah, it was I mean, so apparent. No, Oklahoma's offensive line dominated. Exactly. But my my point, my it's it's a triggering thing whenever you say Kennedy Brooks is like Brennan Clay, but that's I'm I'm not gonna not gonna entertain that argument much longer. But my whole point here is that T.J. Pledger is gonna be a guy. He's gonna go get you six seven yards. He's gonna fight for extra yardage after contact. He's gonna be able to catch the ball in the backfield. Uh, he's gonna do all the right things. He's gonna be assignment sound. He's gonna be disciplined. He's not gonna miss blocks in the passing game. Uh, you know, so he's he's gonna be a guy that's gonna be good for for honestly for what Oklahoma's trying to do. And then you get Ramondre Stevenson back. Oh my God, I forgot how good he was last year. Holy Dude, I'm telling you, like cow. he he was the most complete back, in my opinion, of Trey or Kennedy. The only problem that we have on what we saw of him is we don't know if he can carry the load as the number one guy because we didn't see him as that. We no. saw him in spots. Yeah, I I, I mean, he's a in my opinion, he's more athletic than Samaj P. Ryan. Yeah, that I mean, is an incredible comp right there. He is, I mean, his feet, man. Twitchier, Samaj P. Ryan. Faster. Yeah. His burst is. I mean, his ability level. to like absorb contact and it does nothing to him and he just still accelerates. Because mm-hmm. like Trey Sermon would get hit, absorb the contact, but it would take him like a split second to kind of regather himself and get mm-hmm. his balance back before he. Remember the fumble to- he had in that game in Waco? The, the fumble that Trey had? No, that Ramondre Stevenson had. The second half in the Big 12 Yo, title game? No, in the Ills in Waco. He, he fumbled and oh, yeah, busted he his butt to go, and then Jalen Hurts ended up fumbling like three plays later. But yeah. that, out it just, whenever I watched that play, I came to my mind, it's like, man, that is a lot like D.D. Westbrook at Tennessee. Like, if that goes the other way and D.D. Westbrook doesn't fall on that, that season's completely different. If yeah. Ramondre, so, but no, I mean, that running back room just in general, you know, positive things that Lincoln said today about Marcus Major, positive things he said about Seth McGowan. But, I mean, when Stevenson gets back, you know, you want to talk about a team that doesn't need to throw it 40 or 50 times, to throw 40, 45 times to win. You hand the ball to Ramondre Stevenson 15 times, he's going to go get you 100 That's yards. not fair. I mean, it's just not fair. No, it's, they've got, they're going to, and then you get Trudgeon Bridges back. And you've got an interior wide receiver group of Theo Howard, Marvin Mims, Trejan Bridges with Theo Weiss, 
Um, Austin Stogner obviously can be out wide. Jalen Conyers going to be an interesting guy. So it's uh, yeah, there, there's not many holes in that offense right now. They've got to get left tackle figured out. Um, sounds like a uh, you know there are some reports and I was able to kind of confirm a little bit of it. Uh oh, that confirm me. Young offensive linemen are standing out, standing out, like. But as good as what they've got already right now. Well, the recruiting would suggest that over the last few years. Mm-hmm. The recruiting would absolutely suggest oh, that. Oh, there were, I mean, we talked about, you know, you and I even talked about the offensive line recruiting last year. Like, mm-hmm. they were, the, the recruiting's been really good. 2018 group with Creed, uh, 2017 group with Creed and Ely, and those guys, you get Stacey Wilkins um, in that group. But, man. If Anton Harrison becomes the guy that I think he's going to become, Brady, he will be what Trent Williams went fourth pick. Yes, because he'll he'll be the high he'll be the highest drafted offensive lineman since Trent Williams. Ooh, he is he is a freak. I mean, swift of feet, physical, big bodied, mauler on the offensive line. He, I mean, man, he's got chance and. Obviously, there's a lot of conversation about him going around right now about maybe even starting this year. So, um, you know, find your reports out there where you want to find them. But. I mean, that, that that's good. That's great just from the standpoint of offensive line as a unit is a position where you should expect a healthy rotation just from a, let's get this guy some burn or let's get this guy some rest for a series. And if they're good enough, if young guys are playing, yeah, there's going to be some experience there early on. But if they're backed up by people who may not be as overall talented, but they have the experience, that's a great spot to be in if you're Bill Bean Bow with that unit. It absolutely is. And you can add a guy at left tackle. Um, obviously, Andrew Rames got in some conversation from Bill Beanbow last week. Um, you're not buying it. I'm not. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, you're talking about you got four guys that are going to start, four guys that are NFL caliber players on the, along the offensive line that are returning. Andrew Rames not a tackle. I don't care what anybody says. And it's not it's so not that simple. He's not. Like uh, talking to Sam Mays for the last two years, it's not very. It's not as simple as you think to just say, interior lineman, go block on the outside mm-hmm. now. It's not as simple as you think. Yeah. And then the fact that Cody Ford did it and just became a monster. But, again, yeah, there, are, not, there are freaks. Yeah, <laughs> he's a, he was a freak. But, no, it's going to be – it just doesn't make any sense to me. It just – because is this a guy that can come in and – you know, be the first guy off the bench to play center behind Creed Humphrey? Yes. Uh, the one guy that we haven't asked about that we need to ask about next week is Chris Murray. S- Anton Harrison will be the highest drafted guy since Trent Williams, but Chris Murray's a first-round talent too. I mean, this is a guy that if he plays, if he if his waiver gets approved and he can play, he will be Oklahoma's best offensive lineman, and that's including Creed Humphrey. Damn. He is... I mean, as good as it gets. And he's the, he put him at right guard, put him at left guard. Um, he's he's really, really good. And there's a lot of positive reviews of him coming out of Norman so far, which to anybody that has followed me that I've put out tape of him, it shouldn't shock anybody. He's a – he is a freak. Yeah. Um, so they've got – you know, they've got a, you know, 10, 11, 12 guys that are really good. And then – if things pan out their way this year in the recruiting class, 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I, I, you know, I've made the comment before. I mean, you look at left tackle. I'm surprised Anton Harrison's over there first off. I said he'd be a right tackle. I think he's more of a right tackle than he is a left tackle. But uh, coming out of high school. But, I mean, you're looking at tackles. You've got Anton Harrison. You've got Noah Nelson, who, bless his heart, guy project, needs to put on some weight. Would have been really good. Very technically sound. Probably not going to ever start a game at Oklahoma. Yeah. Because then you've got Tristan Lee potentially coming in. You've got a guy like Savion Bird potentially coming in. Um, I'm probably even – Stacey Wilkins is on campus. Like, like what's going to happen with Stacey Wilkins? Yeah, you typically don't think if the recruiting, especially this like you just mentioned, goes the way that we think it's going to go, you don't really think of offensive line as – a transfer portal type unit, especially Bill Beanbow, because like we said, like you may not start, but you'll if you're good enough, you're gonna get some you're gonna get some time. They're gonna be so damn talented that we might see like a guy that you think, oh man, like oh you just lost. Like, yeah, they can replace him with someone pretty damn good, but that is a mm, It's on. gonna reach a peak here soon to where it's like yeah. okay, it's, this is stupid. This is stupid as well as it's not gonna get any better than what it is right now. Yeah. You're not gonna replace a Anton Harrison at left tackle with a, a guy that's better. Now, unless it's Tristan Lee. Now, if Tristan Lee comes to Oklahoma, I don't know what they're going to do at tackle. I mean, he's a he's a day one starter. Bryce Foster, he's probably going to need some technical work once he gets in. Yeah. Savion Bird's got some work he's got to do. Um, and then, obviously, they've got Colin Montgomery, who I think is, in my opinion, probably the, as it stands today, that probably the projected for me to be the second best offensive lineman in that class behind Tristan Lee. Obviously, if Tristan Lee comes to Oklahoma. But, I mean, you just go down the list of guys they're going to have on campus if it goes their way, if everything goes their way. Man, it's it reminds me, and I know I said this about Oklahoma's receiver room, I think, on this podcast, but the offensive line room's the same way. It reminds me a lot of what Ohio State's defensive back room is going to be. Oh, yeah. About Joe Mixon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's uh, you know, it's gonna be one of those. It's gonna be one of those things to where they're they're gonna be got a chance to be really, um, you know, one guy leaves, next guy comes in, plays one year, and uh, and you just replace him, and he goes off to the NFL. Just like I mean, you look at Ohio State, you know, for a while, for three years there, they were replaced a guy, and then that next guy went drafted in the first round. Like, yeah, absolutely absurd. Like Conley was gone. Jeff Okuda this year. Only played for two years. It's crazy sauce. So, I mean, that's what Oklahoma's going to be like on offense. Um, it's clear that that's the direction it's heading, and we will um, we'll see kind of how everything unfolds. Can we air some grievances real quick? Let's do it. So, everybody, uh, of course, understands now what we all assumed was going to happen. Oh, you finally announces it. Missouri State's a pay-per-view. Um... I am inclined to tell you as a uh, loyal employee of 107.7, the franchise, the flagship station for OU football, if you don't want to pay the 54 bucks, you know what? If you don't want to pay the 54 bucks and you also are kind of like me in that, well, typically I would probably be a bum and go to a watch party, but maybe you're thinking, I don't really want to be around a bunch of people that I don't hang out with consistently in a tightly confined space. I don't know if that's really smart or wise to do right now. Listen to it on the radio because the damn highlights are going to be on YouTube immediately after the game. And having... Oh, Sooner Gridiron will have you covered. Yeah, no, like, 
being forced to listen to a game on the radio over the last few years because I've I've had to like doing whatever. It's a lot more enjoyable than I thought it would be. It is. It's actually in some ways a lot more fun because you just you rely on every little pitch tone just cadence you rely on everything from toby Rowland. obviously listening to it on the franchise um it it makes it a little bit more of a different more fun experience i think but a game like missouri state where you know he's going to win by 40 50 points like just if you don't want to pay the money i don't blame you unless i'm physically there having to do work for the station which i hope i i hope i hope they want me because the thunder are probably going to be done by then i would assume um unless i'm physically there i'm probably just going to listen to it on the radio but um, I know technically the athletic department did not, does not make the decision to put it on pay-per-view, but Keegan, they've done this before. They've done it before, but man, just, Hey, everyone out there hurting for money. And like, maybe you're on unemployment. Maybe you're like, had your hours split in half. If you want to watch our football game, the only game that we know for sure will take place. Pay me 60 bucks. Like What? Yeah, the optics of it aren't great, but I've said this to you before, like, they, about canceling the season, like, you need, some people were saying, telling me that you need to focus on, you know, the economic impact of the businesses around them, about, you know, people and their jobs and all these things, but like, you know, we're at a point where these universities as well kind of had to make decisions for themselves, and yeah, unfortunately, it, it's at the hands of the fans in this, in this instance, but... Brady, you're going to be in the you're going to be in the minority there. Oh, I I know. I I typically am, and that's fine. Um, I just I'm of the opinion that OU is as a blue blood school, they would be fine. Let's pretend that they didn't have Missouri State on the schedule and they had to scratch and claw for an SMU. That's not going to be a pay per view game. No. So we would be sitting here just under the assumption that well, OU is going to be fine because they're OU financially. If they did something like some of the proceeds from the pay-per-view go to local businesses. That would be great. And I think that that would encourage a lot of other people that are probably thinking like me that are like, I'll just listen to it on the radio. Screw that. I think people would feel more like, Hey, let's, let's help out the community here. Cause campus corner is going to hurt. And I know campus corner is not the end all be all to everybody. Um, but as an alum, as someone who lived in Norm for 10 plus years, it's a place that I, enjoyed going to and i'll probably enjoy going to as i get older for like the memory sake and i hope that it's still there but there are gonna be a lot of businesses that are gonna be empty after this season because you can't have people there mm-hmm. and i wish OU would do something like that because yes they've done this before we knew this was gonna happen the open optics up, are open bad. up the effort center yeah i mean do something but I, I again i don't really know what you can do other than hey like some like a third of these proceeds for the from the pay-per-view we're gonna send it to uh whatever like campus corners llc or whatever because i know they're like an own, their own little company but i mean i don't know that's me spitballing yeah it's it's tough but from an oklahoma perspective do you you know fans i know your thoughts on this but in general do fans want to watch a softball team play do they want to watch the baseball team play who's becoming a national contender year in and year out do you want the you know golf team that's been really good do you want them to still be around um well again i'd ask like if missouri state wasn't on the schedule and it was just smu like from what i understand the broadcast deal is that if fox thought they could make more money by putting it on a national broadcast yeah then being it being on pay-per-view it would have been on a national broadcast 
but I'm sure they were having issues selling advertisement for that for that Missouri State game. And it's not because of early in the game. You got to have viewership for the entire game. Like people are going to tune out of OU and Missouri State whenever it's 42 to nothing Hell, after I the might. first quarter. <laughs> yeah. And so it's We'll phone it in on the post game podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's tough. It sucks. I mean, hell, I, I mean, there's a chance that I won't be at the stadium for games this year because of COVID and protocols and all that. And we'll kind of see, uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens. But it, it's something that has to happen. Um, clearly Fox and the people hating on OU and Sooner Sports for this, this they have no control. This, is, this was Fox's decision. Fox is the one that's putting it on pay-per-view because Fox – didn't think that they can make enough money by making it a national Well, yeah, that's that's why game. people would blame OU or the athletic department because they scheduled Missouri State. Like, fans don't want to see these games. No. Like, big broadcasting channels don't want these games on their broadcast either. But these games, I mean, everybody in the country plays them. Alabama, Texas, everybody plays these kind of games. And that's, I mean, that's why hopefully, like, one of the positives from this entire disaster of a year already, like, we just get closer to... Oh, schools like oh you don't have don't have to play these games right and i you know that would be obviously be the hope but i mean it's gonna happen and it's a damn good thing that it, they are getting a game in before playing Kansas now State like now a Iowa game State. like this having said that you're right this game i mean you had tennessee week two you know if it didn't get canceled so yeah getting a game with spencer in front of fans and getting him accustomed to the you know confines of the offense in a game setting and um, those things would have been beneficial. But to your point, I, I mean, I don't enjoy watching OU play Missouri State. I didn't enjoy watching OU play South Dakota last year. Uh, Tennessee Chattanooga 2008 didn't do anything for you? N- no. <laughs> Akron, even though they had yeah, and they had two or three guys get drafted off that I mean, defense. they're a max school. I mean, that's they typically will have a guy or two, mm-hmm. maybe a transfer. You know, it's like, oh, okay, there's some talent there and there's a pedigree. But, mm-hmm. yeah. So, but uh, but no, it's – you know, something that has to happen, and we'll see, uh, you know, they're going to make so much money. Oh, yeah. They're going to make so much money from this thing. I mean, it because people can't go to bars and watch it. Like, they're going to have to shut down Logie's and Campus Corner for that game. I have no idea what... Because I Campus Corner is going to be well because the like the fucking disaster. Pardon my French. The last that I was told, we're going to have our tailgate set up the way that we had it two years ago. Cause last year we actually had it. I'm sure our listeners know, but we had, we had it on campus North end zone on that sidewalk over by price. But the year before we had our big tailgate set up in the Hertz donut parking lot on campus corner. And I've been told that we're going to be there. We're just not going to have the TV screen and we're going to make people, you know, socially distance and hopefully wear masks. But like people are going to be walking around like i mean i don't know i i might even want to do this just to feel a part of the game day atmosphere if i'm not doing anything keegan we can't tailgate on campus but i might want to just walk around campus and i'm sure 50 60 70,000 people are going to have the same idea which is like do you just literally close off campus and does Campus Corner have to kind of make the, that decision of, like, you can't be – we can't close the street down. <laughs> the sports animal can't have their thing in the middle of the street this year. Hey, big guy, come say that to my face. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, it's 
it's going to be weird. This whole thing is going to be weird. And Brady, we are only 11 days away. I know. It's I, wild. I, we're all just kind of like closing our eyes, putting our fingers in our ears, and just going, la, 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 it's going to work. Um, and that will kind of let, – let's pivot real quick. We don't have to touch on this that long because we're almost done here, Keegan. But the Big Ten is apparently now trying to think about potentially maybe starting – not gonna happen. It, I don't know why. I don't even know why they would friggin' play on Thanksgiving. It's so stupid. The Big Ten is dumb. They're dumb. The Pac-12. No one cares. I don't it is to... funny. I saw someone tweet about that today. That why is no one talking about the Pac-12? But why? Like what? The who? Yeah. Like everybody's just. It's because the Big Ten won't shut up. I know they like, dude. Like make your decision and like that's it. Well, when you got the president getting involved. They you had that? To, you had to have known that that was going to be on oh the table. How could you not know that Trump would make his <laughs> Trump loves football. He loves college football. Mm-hmm. So of course if you say we're not going to play in the fall, Trump's going to have an opinion. Yeah. He'll tweet about it, he'll talk about it at a press conference, someone's going to ask him. This is the Big 10. There are this so many big alums our... in the media, not just sports media. Mm-hmm. But in the media, like, this was going to be on the friggin' table. Yeah, and this isn't me taking a political stance of any regard. I just think it's funny that he feels the need to get involved with college football. Both of them. Um, both the, yeah. the Biden with his advertisements the other day and then Trump today. I just I thought I mean, it was funny. I mean, in all fairness, to be balanced here, I mean, we have our opinions on Trump, and I think we're fairly even on them. Uh, Obama made his opinion known at least in, in regards to basketball, football, baseball. Like he was just as vocal about sports. He just wasn't very, he didn't need to be administratively vocal with those leagues because there was nothing going on like COVID. But again, like Kevin Warren had to understand that if you're going to just go ahead and cancel your season, Trump's going to say something and you need to be prepared for that. But apparently the big Ten's not prepared because they keep, there's all these reports about how the return to competition play is like debating or voting or whatever the hell they're doing. And yeah. Nebraska's just sitting there like, please, God, if, if we don't play in the fall, this is essentially a death penalty the way that we've sucked the last 10 years. I think it was economically, though, right, is what their their athletic director or president was Looking saying. Looking like Scott Van Pelt. 11 of the 14 presidents voted against playing. I mean, Scott Van Pelt called it perfectly. Did you see that video clip on I Twitter? Haven't. I wish I would have watched ago. it. Um, you know, he was just calling out the hypocrisy of the Big Ten, and then he ended it off with, like, if you're so concerned about health and safety of your players, then why'd you let 20,000 kids onto your campuses over the last two weeks? Oh, yeah, collect those uh, tuition checks. Thank you. Good night. Mm-hmm. Like, sorry. Like, the Big 12, like, I'm excited we're going to have football. It's good for us professionally. But don't, don't mistake me for thinking that I think the Big 12, SEC, and the ACC are making the morally correct decision. I thought the morally correct decision was football players only, students stay home. Mm-hmm. If you truly care about the bottom line as well as the health and safety is of everybody involved, that's the only way that that works. Mm-hmm. But clearly the Big Ten does not care that much because they let their kids on campus, but they're not going to play football. Yeah, I mean, it was all liability and being scared of players unionizing. I mean, that's the facts of it, and... I mean, they can say player safety and health of the players and this and that, but clearly that's not the case. So it took Nebraska players to file a lawsuit against them 
to the, for them to start getting the wheels of a spring season going. So oh, Nebraska, they they talk so much. I didn't say. I mean, Penn State, like James Franklin, was all vocal about playing this year, but his own pres- school president voted against playing. I think Penn State is of the opinion of let's just be quiet and in the background, right? <laughs> yeah. No, they, I mean, they definitely need to. So it's uh. No, eleven days. What are we gonna start? Are we gonna record two podcasts next next week. Yeah, so we do have a special guest lined up uh, for this Sunday. Uh, let's hope we can get this one out Sunday. Um, we might have to record on a different day, but we're aiming for Sunday right now. So we're looking forward to that for everybody. Um, last thing, Keegan. And yes, like during the season, we'll more than likely have like a a Sunday Monday show. And then, depending on time and what you're able to do with your job, Keegan, perhaps a, a pregame show on Friday night, and then definitely at least a postgame show on Saturday night, Sunday morning. So um, we will basically go back to the format that we did last year. We almost had two shows a week, so that's what we're aiming for. But again, special guest on Sunday. We're excited about that. Uh, we do have to address something, Keegan, that a few listeners – which thank you everybody for listening. We I truly appreciate it. Even if you disagree with me, that's fine. You know I, I welcome that. This is college football. This is what it's all about: is debate. Um, people are upset about my Trey Brown take. <laughs> and here's the thing: in that same podcast last week, Keegan, we trashed you trashed Pro Football Focus, and the people that brought up the Trey Brown thing to me, their evidence. Do you remember on Twitter what it was? A bunch of Pro Football Focus links. <laughs> It's like, look, it's TreyBrown.com. Trey Brown is talented. I already admitted he's going to test well. All those things. And I hope he's made a leap because he's going to start, and I'm an OU fan. I want him to do well. But I've not seen anything consistently out of him other than the fact that he's incredibly fast. And that's, and that's it. No pro football focus link is going to make me think otherwise until I see it on the field. Yeah, he was way too inconsistent. I mean, he was, and that's that's a fact. Like, he could be better this year, that's for sure. Yes. And he needs to be better. He has to be better. If Oklahoma's defense wants to be the defense they want to be, a physical, in-your-face, second kind of secondary, um, he's Trey Brown's going to have to – he's going to have to be the role Parno Molly was last year. You're going to have to be able to trust him on an island, and he's got steps he has to take. And, you know – are are we 100 am I 100% sure he can take those steps? No. Did he show me a lot of positive things in that peach bowl in the first half whenever they did attack him? Absolutely. I mean running you no, know, stride for stride in great position, you know, with the best receiving core in the country. It was impressive. And I think that is a a good thing heading into the season, but to your credit, I mean he hasn't been what people he hasn't been what he was supposed to be yet. Yeah, and he's, he's made plays, but neither was Neville Gallimore, mm-hmm. neither was Kenneth Murray, and those guys made leaps. And maybe Trey Brown makes exactly. that leap. And again, I will admit, I'll eat crow on this podcast. And then at the same time, I'll be very happy because that just means OU's defense has taken a step because of Trey. Like you said, if Trey Brown makes makes that leap, the secondary is going to be better than they were last year. I'm fully confident in saying that. It's go- it, yeah, it definitely. And you know, we'll kind of uh, we're gonna get a good taste of that week week that third game against Iowa State. They're gonna test them. They got some big, strong receivers. It's 
you know, they're going to test him. We'll see what Trey Brown's made of. We'll see what Jane Davis is made of, which, by the way, they talk about length, they talk about speed, talk about all those things that they want. You give me a guy like Jane Davis out on the, on the outside that is willing and wanting to get his nose dirty, get his nose dirty and physical at mm-hmm. his size. Yeah. It's a lot different than the smaller corners Oklahoma used to have. Yeah, he hit a freshman wall, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that's somewhat him to be and, expected. Him and Brian SMO last year, I never understood why they didn't get more of a chance. But that's I, – I, I get the Kansas State game and that it, Brian SMO cost them a couple, couple times, but I just don't – I don't get the mindset completely. I assumed it was because of what you talked about earlier in the show where Lincoln understood, yeah, this is a ball control offense. And I think Alex just wanted to go with – I can't rely on freshmen to consistently make the smart play over and over again. And when you're playing ball control offense, you're also not as able to be aggressive, I would assume, philosophically on defense. And that's what I always assumed that it was. And then plus, Jaden Davis probably just hit a wall because that's what freshmen do sometimes. Oh, well. But Keegan, get out of here. Go. Good, good podcast. Oh, yeah. I mean, because we had football to talk about. We, we didn't really talk about COVID, thank God. Yeah, and I don't think we're going to have to. I hope not. But as I said, it sounded as if, if there were uh, some players who enjoyed their weekend last weekend. Not just not snitching on anybody. Uh, just, this just, is gonna be tough. Just saying, they're gonna go beat Missouri State's ass, and they're they're gonna be like everybody that either is a football fan or has played football. You beat someone's ass, no matter who it is. You want to go celebrate. And that's gonna be the tough thing with this year. Um, and they're they're not wrong and feeling that way but we all have to make adjustments and unfortunately for the players they have to make some pretty unrealistic adjustments but we will find out they absolutely will and they're absolutely being exploited because of it and that's my final message pay them uh everybody go read keegan renault's uh lincoln riley story um on soonerswire.com really really still on the front page yeah still on the front page I read it. It's worth your. It's worth uh, looking at, especially before we get into like football, football mode. But uh, check that out, everybody. Thank you so much for ins- uh, listening to Inside OU. For Keegan Renault, this is Brady Trantham. Talk to you later.